You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 205. I'm your host, Helena Levin, and joining me today for the show is my co-host, Pontus Bokman. Всем привет! Hey, Sarayson, Helena, how are you? Good, thank you, very good. Um, good evening. So it's it's very odd because you just waking up and you hardly awake and I'm like a bit <laughs> hyper just before going to bed, not quite tired enough yet. You're like those cats, you know, just before <laughs> bedtime they they, they <laughs> climb on the walls. Mm. Also, my my cat actually actually literally climbs on curtains, the fucker, yeah. and she just swings <laughs> from them <laughs> uh, like a bad oh, stripper. Right. Anyway, so uh... <laughs> okay, what's going on? So, uh, not much, not much. Uh, same old. I've got nothing to report on. What about you? Well, uh, nothing with me personally, but uh, I hear that uh, as we record this, the Swedish-American uh, astronaut Jessica Meyer and her friend uh, Christina Koch is going on a spacewalk again. So that's good. And they'll do one other on Monday, I believe. Go Sweden in space! <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, do Swedish people kind of uh, feel quite proud about this achievement? No, Swedish people, they're trying to be very, very, uh, what's the word? Uh, modest? More like false modesty. They're trying to ignore everything that could be interpreted as pride or something like that. So. Uh. <laughs> Well, you should be very, very uh, pleased for your nation mm -hmm. to have achieved this. Mm -hmm. That's a big thing. Yeah, well, I didn't personally contribute, I think. I know. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but you're lucky enough to be born in Sweden. Yeah. So. All right, cool. Okay, so that's a fairly short introduction, I guess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> about the space travel. But let's just mention... That's pretty obvious that uh, Anders is not with us because he is traveling to... Uh, I forget. I don't remember. One of the exotic countries, I'm yes. sure. Yes, I think in Asia somewhere, yeah. Our time difference now is crazy, so mm. uh, we, we're having to do this ad hoc arrangements. So, anyways, without further ado, as they say, let's jump right into it and start with an event, something interesting that happened this week in Skepticism. Uh, so I want to talk about somebody who was born on this day in 1964, on 16th of January, and his name is Massimo Piliucci. He is a professor of philosophy at the um, CUNY City College. So that's a, that's a New York college in America. And he's done a lot of interesting work in his lifetime, but I want to tie him uh, to the European angle by saying that even though he was born in um, Monrovia, Liberia, which was uh, an African country, he actually grew up in uh, Italy, which uh, is how I just <laughs> justifying this. So. Okay. And he actually even got, went to university, the University of Ferrara in Italy, where he got his doctorate degree in genetics as one of his things. He's, he's, he's got quite a few uh, interests. And in fact, if you listen to him on uh, YouTube or any of his interviews on other websites, you can distinctly hear the Italian accent. It's not very strong, but it's there. Uh, I think I feel like he's he's Italian at heart, even though he now lives and works in America. 
he's an atheist. He he proclaimed that openly because I think that's what you do in America. You have to state <laughs> if you're an atheist. Still, yeah. uh, people care in America more about that status than elsewhere. Yeah. But anyway, he uh, believes that science doesn't necessarily demand atheism. So he's an interesting one, I guess. But what he also is known for, that criticizing and believing that these um, new atheist writers, of whom we know quite a few, mm-hmm. embracing what he considered to be scientism. Now, I didn't know what scientism is, but I will tell you. It is, and I quote from the Wikipedia, promotion of science as best or only objective means by which society should determine normative and epistemological values. So he doesn't agree with that. He thinks there should be something else we build our life around and make sure that this life is good and worth living other than science. And I don't know if I disagree with him on that. That's an interesting view. Uh, He's written several books. One of them was Answers for Aristotle, How Science and Philosophy Can Lead Us to a More Meaningful Life. Uh, He's also been a host of the Rationally Speaking podcast, Mm -hmm. but he quit that podcast uh, some time ago to pursue other interests in his life. And his co-host, Julia Galef, continues that work without him. So he uh, stopped doing it in 2015. So he's been a very outspoken proponent for scientific skepticism, critical thinking. He participated in big events like Nexus, which I'm hoping to maybe one day be part of if I stay in America, yeah. because that looks always That's in like... New York, right? Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, of course. And he's local to, to New York. So, and uh, so, yes, he promotes the uh, rational skeptics view of life and thinking. But what I also like about him, he is uh, a really big proponent of stoicism. I know it's not really skeptic related, <laughs> but I wanted to mention it here because of misconceptions, for example, that I personally had about Stoicism. And I don't know, Pontus, how much you know about it, but essentially what Stoicism talks about is something called dichotomy of control, So, which means that this is the concept which Stoic philosophy is referred to. Certain things are certainly within your control, and those things you have to look after and make sure done right, and you put all the energy in. And then uh, other things are just out of your control. So you... You shouldn't worry about them too much and you just should do your best with the things you do have control of. And so I think changing your way of... Because I thought that Stoicism is all about drinking water and eating like (laughs) salad stale bread all your life and not enjoying yourself. And it's nothing like that apparently. So I was super... I was mistaking badly. And he's a big proponent of this. And I think he played quite a big role to bring it to the forefront of the sort of modern pop culture in a way he's very active on twitter with with his ideas and i think it's a great way to think about life in general i certainly agree with that 100 percent. we should only worry about stuff that's in our control everything else it happens mm. i mean like for example we're gonna die at some t- stage what well, we can't do anything about this but we can do other things to enjoy our lives and whatever else invest um our effort into mm. it suddenly appealed to me <laughs> <laughs> for sure He's one of the most famous columns that he ever produced, uh, articles he ever produced, was uh, the New York article, How to Be a Stoic. And that that became super widely spread and shared and, and whatever else. But yes, he's, he's doing a really, really good work just across the board um, in skepticism and scientific movement um, as a philosopher, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Um, so here we go. Very good. Yeah, I've listened to Rationally Speaking when he was a co-host, and he's very interesting to listen to. Oh, really? Oh, cool. Yeah. 
yeah, he's got a lot of good good ideas. He invokes a lot of philosophers of all times. So I guess people in 2 century BC had a lot of good thoughts that we haven't bothered listening to. So. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I will turn the microphone to you, Pontus, the virtual microphone. <laughs> <laughs> and we were going to talk about how you're going to poke the Pope this week. Yes, and in papal news this week, it is the return of the Sith. Benedict strikes back. (laughs) (laughs) Sex abuse scandals notwithstanding, the big brewing controversy that dominates the Catholic Church at the moment is the question of celibacy. Because no matter how you turn, sex is what the Church cares most about uh, anyway. For the Synod of the Amazon that was held in October, the question of celibacy was the huge issue that overshadowed everything else. Would the bishops endorse appointment of married so-called trusted men to administer the sacraments in remote areas where there was a shortage of priests and clergy? And in the end, of course, they chickened out and left it for Francis to say the final word. So we're now eagerly awaiting his document or his apostolic letter, which I believe will come out in a couple of months. But not very keen on the idea of married priest. The church's old senator Palpatine himself, also known as the retired Pope Benedict, has broken his promise to remain, quote, hidden from the world. Instead, he has now published a book in burning defense of celibacy. So he's putting in his nickel here. The book goes by the somewhat long-winded title of From the Depth of Our Hearts, Priesthood, Celibacy and the Crisis of the Catholic Church, end quote. And uh, it was written uh, together with a fellow conservative, the Guinean Cardinal Robert Sarah, who is uh, widely regarded, uh, well, not to like Francis very much. So the old pope is striking back. And it creates a real tension in the church. And uh, the Sith Lord's new gambit must be uh, rather unwelcome for certain parts of the organization. Not in the least the German Catholic bishops, who, as we reported, have declared a two-year synodal process to explore how to allow marriages among priests also in Germany, because they want to get married too. Mm. I just wanted to note here that church is not the only ones who care about sex a lot. Okay, you too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> there are one or two people out there. That's that's true. That's true. Anyway, the Frankie's letter on the matter is much anticipated on both sides and it could spark real problems no matter what position he takes. And there is another document we are eagerly awaiting from the big guy. And that is the report regarding former Cardinal Theodore McGarrick, the defrocked Archbishop of New York. As we talked about two weeks ago, McGarrick allegedly not only sexually abused both men and young boys over decades as an American priest and bishop, but he also collected money into his special secret Archbishop's Fund and sent huge amounts of money to high-ranking officials in the church who were supposed to investigate him. And he also sent money both to Pope John Paul II and the already above-mentioned Benedict when they were popes. But in the meanwhile, while we're waiting for this report from Francis, there are reasons to believe that McGarrick is rather terrified of the report. 
He has no function in the church anymore, of course, and his last known whereabouts is a Franciscan friary in Kansas. And I say last known because on January 11th, it was discovered that he had gone missing. (laughs) (laughs) Not comfortable just waiting to be condemned by the Pope. Apparently, he just up and left one day. And the the monks he was staying with claim that they don't know or even care where he has gone. Uh, I find this very funny. We have this 89-year-old disgraced former cardinal <laughs> on the run in the US. It's it's the new edition of the old TV show The Fugitive. So I think uh, the Catholic Church is better in, than Netflix sometimes. I'll let you I'll let you know if I see him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please do. Please do. But you really can't make these things up. So. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't he a bit too old to be on the run? Come on, dude. I don't know. I don't know. Apparently not. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So that's that for poking the Pope this week. All right. Okay. Excellent. Thank you so much, Pontus. And now on to the news. Well, guess what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm starting with another uh, story about the church. No. It's Catholic Church in Spain this time around. Okay. This um, item was brought to our attention by one of our listeners, um, Bob. Thank you so much for sending this to us. The article was published in The Guardian under the title Catholic Church in Spain Launches Years-Long Marriage Training for Couples. What? The Roman Catholic Church in Spain apparently launched courses, premarital courses, that last two between anywhere between two and three years, that designed to prepare couples for the marriage. And apparently, according to the latest statistics, Spain has got really high divorce rate. Aye, aye. And they want to tackle this best as they can with two to three years of preparation courses. So let's say you're a believer, or if you just want to make vows in a church. You need to attend about 20 hours of lessons to get ready. And things that will be discussed during those lessons are divided into 12 different areas. And I'll just mention a couple because that's a lot of areas. So the areas such as communication, fidelity, the beauty of sexuality, conflict resolution. All right. So, you know, there's something in it, I have to say. (laughs) Young people who come together and they have this, you know, sparkle in their eyes and they, they're in love and they're full of hormones. They don't care about communication or conflict resolution stuff. But, you know, as the marriage goes on, these things become very important. So <laughs> I can certainly advocate for those. However, I don't know how that's going to help the divorce rate very much. And also, I think the marriage in the church marriage uh, overall, the percentage of people marrying in church is falling down. So I don't know how the course will help that side of things either. I think it's going to deter, if anything, it's going to deter people from going to church and marrying. It's just another, it's <laughs> just another hurdle. Hurdle, the hurdle yeah. to overcome, right? Right. Yeah. And also, who is going to deliver these courses? Are these the same priests <laughs> that have sw- are sworn to celibacy and Practice are not allowed to get preach. married themselves? Yeah. So right, they won't okay. be talking from a personal experience. It will just be some theoretical fantasy that they have about what marriage should be because they're not married. It's it, the good questions all there. It doesn't really specify about, it doesn't specify those type of things in the article. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting attempt and I can see how for the lack of doing anything else, this is the, the thing they kind of came up with, right? 
So one of the things mentioned in the article and argued in the article is to say that actually those 20 hours, if you spread them across like a year or two, are not going to prepare you apparently for marriage. Well, yeah, there might still be a good foundation. I don't know. Yeah, they may, they may end up talking people out of marriage. So uh, I don't know how that could be very counterproductive. <laughs> well, you know, and maybe that's again a good thing, right? If then two people realize maybe that's not a good idea after all. You're still serving the purpose of reducing the divorce rate. I don't know. Quite right. In in any case, I think overall marriage as a concept is overgoing a change in modern society as far as I can mm. see. A lot of people don't ever get married. They have kids. Mm. They live together for years and years and they just form these partnerships. So I don't know how much we should be holding on to this institution. I don't have answers. But this is an interesting attempt from the religious institution to counter some of the latest developments. Yeah, in this to try area. to stay relevant. Yeah. Mm. As I mentioned earlier, with Spain having really high divorce rates, they probably thought, well, maybe there's something we can do. All right. Okay. Right, new subject then. We should really stay out of UK election or Brexit uh, subjects on this show, but really sometimes it's just too crazy to ignore. Boris Johnson's chief advisor posted a very strange job ad on his personal blog looking for quote-unquote weirdos and misfits to come to work on uh, number 10 Downing Street. They were looking for unusual new blood instead of quote public school bluffers with no real world experience. And uh, crazy as that is, it just got worse. Can you guess who applied? Uri fucking Geller has applied no, for a job we, in the government. We haven't heard his name for a while. Exactly, and that's what he felt too, I think. So he wants to remind the world that he still exists. Most skeptics, of course, need no introduction to Uri Geller. But for those who don't know, he was, or still is, an Israeli charlatan and scam artist that got famous in the 70s for bending spoons on TV. He claimed to do this spoon bending with his uh, mind alone and created a lot of attention around his person. He was, of course, famously debunked by the amazing James Randi, who we are very proud to say have been a guest on this show. Now, of course, lots of skeptics have demonstrated how easy it is to bend spoons in ways that seem magical but requires no special mental abilities. Randy himself has done so many, many times, and also people like Richard Saunders of the Skeptic Zone and many others. Uri Geller, on the other hand, has continued over the decades to say that he is a real psychic and he has over the years, for example, scammed oil companies to psychically find hidden oil fields. I I don't ever think he found anything, but he got them to pay him lots of money to try to find them. Nonsense like that. He has claimed to be hired by Mossad, the CIA and the FBI for his supernatural abilities. And I don't don't know what the CIA wants with bent spoons. But uh, anyway, he's tried to stay relevant. He has, I think he has an Israeli TV show now. But he says he's more than willing to move from Israel to Britain if only Boris Johnson would hire him into the British government. The question is, of course, if one more clown on 10 Downing Street would make any difference at all. I hear the UK must finalise 600 agreements with the EU before the end of the year, maybe Uri Geller could magically make those disappear. That that would be his job, I think. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, I, th- I never thought I'd hear his name again, to be quite honest with no, you. No, no. <laughs> it's kind of... 
I, I, I'm not surprised. Boris Johnson. Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah. Good luck. Whilst I live in America, I'll be like observing, right? <laughs> so it would be a miss of us not to mention Gwyneth Paltrow and the Goop Lab series that is being released on Netflix. Oh shortly. boy. Oh boy. I know. And everybody talks about it and her thing looks like vagina. And I'm like thinking, why does it look like vagina? Ah, because she talks about putting things up your vagina. You know, also the other thought I was ahead. Do you think this thing would have been even viable if she didn't look as pretty as she does? I bet it was. Uh, no, I think it's uh, what she looks like. And also, of course, that she has an Oscar yeah. and that she is yeah. a famous actress. But but as Ricky Gervais said at his Golden Globe presentation, actors do not know the first thing about real life and they should not be given advice on anything, no. let alone health advice. In any case, this Goop Lab, for those who are not aware, is a new documentary series on Netflix that feature a company that's founded by Gwyneth Paltrow, who is an actress. She doesn't have a doctorate degree. She hasn't gone, as far as I know, to any education to get acquainted with the way that the body works. Maybe apart from improvisation classes, but they don't count. <laughs> Anyways, she created this company, Goop, where she peddling some nonsense, pseudoscientific nonsense. And so this uh, series on Netflix will be, will be exploring that pseudoscientific nonsense in all its glory. So they'll be talking about things like psychedelic drugs. I'd be interested in that one. Mm. Uh, exorcism, cold therapy, anti-aging, and female sexuality. Mm. You know, I say let it roll and let her dig her own grave, I think. Listen, if you're stupid enough to fall for this, I don't know what to tell you. But I, I hope that she will kind of does her, our job for us by showing how ridiculous some of her claims are. I know I still have this, you know, we still have this kind of understanding that a lot of people trust celebrities because they're out there, they have a lot of followers, and whatever comes out of their mouth seems to be what goes and what is accepted as the truth. And maybe then they deserve to have steamed vaginas. I have no idea. Yeah. It's, I wouldn't advocate for stopping it. I'd advocate for watching it with a critical eye and using it as an example of <laughs> modern day stupidity. <laughs> uh, but I don't know how you can even take some of these things seriously. They, she has something to repel werewolves. You have some ointment that will re <laughs> And it works because there's no, no werewolves around. <laughs> Does she also have a werewolf to, to, to kind of showcase it? And, no, I don't <laughs> think so. And I, one oh. of my other favorites is she plays classical music to stones for two days and then uh -huh. she sells those stones at a fantastic price because they are now uh -huh. imbued with this uh, magical sense of the beautiful well, music. Well, can't you, can't, can't you display classical music to your stones at home anyway for free? Yeah, but that wouldn't make her any money, would it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, touche. Yeah. But so one of the comments was made about this documentary was by David Gorski, who we know, the mm -hmm. doctor from America. And he reported in his blog that, I'll quote, it is true that uh, women have been ignored too often by medicine, which until recently, and still to the great extent, has been patriarchal and often dismissive of women's concern. It is not empowerment, though, to use that dissatisfaction and disgruntlement over the way medicine has treated women in the past as an in to sell them quackery, pseudoscience, and outright bullshit. The Goop Lab is just the latest marketing tool in the Goop arsenal to do just that, end quote. So you can see how 
she might be playing on that, you know, saying, oh, doctors don't care about you because you're a woman, but here is a jade egg you can stick up your vagina and then steam it to make yourself feel better. <laughs> I'm like, how do you go from one to another anyway? Like, how do you make that connection? I don't know. No. You somehow do. And I don't know. Mm. Uh, I hope people don't fall for it. The level of ridiculousness that I hope that everybody can see through mm. and it's it's been showcased Ah, why not? Yeah, but I think also we need to give a, a big shout out to uh, the Guerrilla Skepticism on Wikipedia team who has already created a very good wiki page about the Goop Lab where even though the, the show hasn't actually premiered yet, you can go to Wikipedia and read all about the show, what's known now and how in what ways it, it is uh, just bullshit and stupidity. And you, uh, so I, I think uh, very well done. GSO team, as we call it, with Susan Gerbic, of course, as the lead figure. Yeah. Here, here. All right, so over to Sweden now. It's the Swedish member of parliament, Jan Eriksson, who belongs to the right-wing so-called moderate party, has been spreading anti-climate change nonsense on Twitter. He has posted several tweets implying that the wildfires in Australia has been intentionally started by Extinction Rebellion members to sway the public in favor of action against global warming. This is the kind of behavior we expect from extremist conspiracy nuts or from Russian bot farms, not from members of the parliament. And this MP is not alone. These rumors are going around in several corners of the internet, so much so that the Australian ABC network has looked into this and published their findings, which we will link to. And their conclusion is that Less than 1% of the fires in Australia have been deliberately started and none of them have been linked to climate activists. Uh, There's been about 30 arrests of people who have illegally started fires, but most of those have been minor rubbish burning, etc., with very little consequence for the current situation. Instead, the vast majority of the fires have been started by so-called dry lightning storms, igniting extremely dry vegetation through uh, strikes of lightning. According to the BBC, now a total of 10 million hectares has been burnt, which is getting close to the area of England, if you exclude Scotland and Wales. Wow. According to some sources, 1 billion animals have been killed, and the smoke is clearly visible in the air in New Zealand, 2,000 miles away, and on satellite images, the trail of smoke can be seen to almost reach South America, which is 7,000 miles away. So to try to explore this disaster for their own political agenda is outrageous for an elected official in the parliament, in my opinion. Can I admit something? Yes. I saw those claims online and I was always like, almost like was, hmm, interesting. Maybe yeah. something in, there's something in it. Maybe people are making fires. You know, actually, I, it is easy to fall for that because when there were big fires in the Amazon, we actually learned that a lot of those were started by man. So, so if, if you have heard that, and that is true, and then you apply it to Australia, it sounds plausible. But in Australia, it, it, it actually is all about climate change and uh, global warming. Right. Mm. Yeah, but uh, and I also want to admit to my own laziness because I saw this claim online and I was like, hmm, could be true. 
But I never made any effort to actually research to see if yeah. it's true. Yes, but you know, we have lives to live. We can't go <laughs> on one or mm. two hour digs on uh, the internet every time we hear something. Yeah, but then of course, big um, public figures pick it up, you know, and then yeah, it becomes a big deal. Yeah. All right, on to Denmark now. There was a study recently done in Denmark that quantifies a potential harm done by the spread of misinformation and the anti-vaccination stances against the HPV vaccines. So basically what they claimed, you know how we say, ah, what's the harm, you know, mm. if somebody says something, let them say it and we can just uh, we can just counter it with facts and good information and um kind of, uh, you know, preserve freedom of speech still, but then also curb the, the spread of misinformation. And it's not, I guess it's not as black and white as this. And of course, the study is saying that every year brings 528,000 new cases of cervical cancer hmm. and 266,000 deaths. Wow. It's huge. So those deaths are linked to the human papillomavirus, which is the HPV. Considering that we have highly effective HPV vaccine, this is unacceptable. And of course, um, what stands in the way is the anti-vaccination stance that has been spread across the world via various means. And I'm assuming the main one is the Facebook and Twitter, uh, etc., all these um, social media sites. However, we know and we've we've told and we reported on it over and over on our podcast that HPV vaccines are safe and effective and they reduce the chance of cervical cancer. Mm. And if you can get it, you should definitely get it. It's such a privileged uh, position to be in to be even able to get these vaccines. Uh, for, I know that for sure, like in England provides those for free to kids in school. And it literally saves lives. Yeah. So a risk and benefit analysis it's an easy one to do. It's a shame to see that this information literally leads to death. So we can definitely put some cost to the spread of the bad information online. We just have to carry on with our attempts to curb this. Um, not sure how effective we are still. You know, I'm still, um, you know, I'm very, very um, not pessimistic, but disheartened by the attempts. Because, of course, anti-vaccination movement appeals to emotion. People are scared, you know, there's yeah. a, this fear mongering. And it's an easy one to catch people in, you know, whereas we provide facts. Facts mm. are dry. What are you going to do with facts? Yeah. You know. Feelings go stra straight to the heart and, and you yeah. are, and it's very yeah. easy to become scared. Yeah. I know in yeah. Denmark they had a lot of discussions. There were a couple of young yeah. women or, or girls who were sick and it was, yeah. con and it was not in actuality connected to the HPV vaccine. Right, right. But okay, it yeah. was, uh -huh. the fear was there. And I think the vaccination rates dropped from 85% down yeah. to 45 or something. Yeah. And yeah. it's been very hard to come back after that. And it's very, very hard to produce a similar feel-good story on the other end. Because if you get a vaccine at an age, an appropriate age, and you don't get the, the cancer, there is no story. No. You live happy life ever after. Yeah. There's literally <laughs> yeah. nothing else to say. And, and, yeah, so, it's very easy to to draw the conclusion. Say, so why did I need to get the the, yeah, the flu shot? I, I never got the disease anyway. So yeah, well, you didn't fucking get it. You didn't get it because you got a freaking vaccine. That's why. Yeah, and it makes for a very poor story. Like to appeal to the uh, senses and the, the emotions. Yeah. 
it's yeah. a tough nut to crack. Again, I wouldn't want to resort in saying, okay, let's forbid this type of speech. But actually, in this case, it no. does lead, lead to actual deaths. Mm. Yeah, we saw that, for instance, in Samoa, that they actually put the person in, in jail for spreading anti-vaccine information because it led mm-hmm. to or it increased the catastrophe they had there with the anti-vax sentiments. And last we talked about it, we checked, it was 81 persons died and it, maybe it's 100 now. It seems that they are getting to grips with the situation, but it was a national emergency. So um, yeah. there, there are limits to freedom of speech. I guess that's what you wanted to say as well. That you don't want to stop freedom of speech, but there, should, there must be limits. Yeah, it's an interesting discussion to have. I am very much pro-freedom of speech, and I of always feel like there's a consequence and a price we would pay if we then... Because it's very hard to draw the line, and who is going to be drawing that line? But it's a totally different discussion altogether. And this is... Um, this is just an example of what, in this instance, this misinformation does, and it's actually costs lives. So, hmm? All right, back to Sweden a little bit. This is sort of a public service announcement. People who were at uh, QED in 2018 at the Skeptic Camp may have seen me talking about a guy called Thomas Eriksson. He has written a series of books... And he's touring Sweden holding workshops and promoting something called DISC analysis. This is an old and never proven personality test that divides people into four colors. Green, red, blue and yellow and some combinations between the things. His books have been extremely successful. The main one has reportedly sold close to a million copies in the little nation of Sweden that only has 10 million inhabitants. So it's extremely successful. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, the problem, of course, is that it's all nonsense and it's just as accurate as astrology, which is not accurate at all, of course. Yet we see people using it as a basis for recruitment, team building and even marriage counseling. So we, the Swedish skeptics, gave Thomas Eriksson the satirical prize for 2018 for tricking a whole country into believing in this nonsense. And I also talked about that on episode 153, which is, was about a year ago. Oh, wow, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. However, even though we did give him this uh, prize and it got some attention in the papers here, his books are still sold and uh, are being now sold in many other languages as well, which is why I'm bringing it up here. It's now for sale in both the UK and in uh, the US, and it's been translated to many other languages. On Amazon, the author is listed as, quote, unquote, a behavioral scientist. But, you know, this guy, hasn't he has no academic credentials at all. Ugh, it's so easy nowadays, right? Yeah. Uh, can I just say I'm a doctor? Mm. I'll, I'll be a Dr. Levine. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, but the news now this week is that uh, to alert the skeptical community about all this outside of Sweden, we have translated an article into English that describes him and what his books are and the background. And I urge every skeptical community out there to read this article and to contact publishers and uh, book dealers in their countries and to make them aware of this train wreck as soon as possible. There will be a link in the show notes where you can read the whole article and you are very welcome to share it also with other organizations share it as much as possible please for sure (laughs) does it feel sometimes you can't just stop the spread of misinformation 
I should also mention, of course, the name of the book. It's called Surrounded by Idiots. And uh, is that is that you and me? <laughs> yeah. It, well, the people who buy them, maybe. I I, I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, but well. if you see that book, Surrounded by Idiots by Thomas Erickson, then, then you know what I'm talking about. All right, thanks. So we're moving on to the next segment of the show as we finished with the news for this week. And it is Really Wrong with Pontus. All right, so neuro-linguistic programming is an alternative yeah. and unproven modality or treatment which you should stay away from. Jelena, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, I, I've got I've got a book on it. I oh, uh, I bought that good. book when I was still in university. Okay. <laughs> it was the, the the whole thing was made up out of whole cloth in the 70s by two guys in California, and it's based on the idea that there is quote a connection between neurological processes, language, and behavioral patterns learned through experience. End quote. That's very hard to even penetrate that sentence. Claims is often that you can use it to reprogram your brain to recover from trauma, illness, or just to help you obtain your life goals. I wish I could explain it in more simple terms, but it's a set of techniques and a method to help a practitioner have a dialogue with a patient or the subject, paying very careful attention to verbal and nonverbal cues and responses of the patient. It was apparently advertised as an important advance in psychotherapy and counseling in the 70s, but it failed to deliver any results in controlled trials. This is why the Wikipedia article on the subject starts with the words Neurologistic Programming, NLP, is a pseudo-scientific approach to communication, personal development and psychotherapy. So it's pretty clear already there. As a Wikipedia editor... You can't get the word pseudoscientific to stick in the first sentence unless it's really uh, true. But if you don't trust Wikipedia, there was a systematic review of NLP published in 2012, which uh, included 10 experimental studies. And again, it came to the conclusion that there's no benefit whatsoever from the treatment. However, this, of course, doesn't dissuade cranks and scam artists that scam, as Edsard Ernst defines it, so-called alternative medicine. Not even if you're part of an organization with a prestigious-sounding name, the College of Medicine in the UK. There, they have just announced that they will start to offer a course in NLP to doctors and alternative practitioners. So, Jelena, do you recognize that organization? The College of Medicine? No. No? Uh It is the rebranded Foundation for Integrated Health that was started by our favorite, not so favorite, member of the royal family in the UK. Oh yeah, Prince Charles again. Yeah, next in line for the crown, Prince Charlie. It seems like every week now the British royal family comes up one way or the other. So the Foundation for Integrated Health was a charity that had to close in 2010 after allegations of fraud and money laundering, which led to the arrest of a former official. It also led to the feud between Prince Charles and Edzard Ernst, which in turn uh, led to Edzard Ernst being forced into early retirement, etc. We mentioned this as late as uh, last week. And as before, if you want to know more, we recommend Edzard Ernst's book, A Scientist in Wonderland. But now known as the College of Medicine, or the longer name, the College of Medicine and Integrated Health, this organization continues to peddle homeopathy and other nonsense and 
Guess who just returned as patron of the organization last month? Prince Charles, of course. And we actually mentioned that on episode 202. And now they're going into neuro-linguistic programming, just as if they didn't have enough uh, stupidity in their organization. So, for promoting yet another scam, the College of Medicine gets today's prize for being really wrong. I I don't know what it is with these guys. It's like the only qualification they're looking for in a treatment is that it's (laughs) pseudoscientific. If if it's just bullshit, then they will promote it. It's unbelievable. You know what it made me uh, think about? The CBT, the Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, which is the legitimate method that works. It is, yes. Uh, Where you change your behavior. Anyways, so as as I mentioned, I used to have a book, and in fact, I still might have it, NLP Basics. But I never read it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good for you. <laughs> it just sits on my uh, sits on my shelf. It was one of the books that I inherited from one of my ex boyfriends or something. I don't know. And now you don't have to read it because now you know it's bullshit. <laughs> so I do. <laughs> All right. Well, great stuff. All Thank right. you so much, Pontus. Thank you. This is actually it for today's show. We'll be back next week in your feeds, wherever you get your podcast. But for now, I'm just going to finish the show with um, the quote. And actually, I do have a quote from Massimo Piliucci. Ha! Of course. How about that? Yeah. (laughs) I thought, why not, you know? And he actually is describing the mission of skeptics, referring to Carl Sagan's demon-haunted world, saying, What skeptics are about is to keep the candle lit and spread it as much as possible. Hmm. And I just think it's the most wonderful thing. Yeah. <laughs> and on this note, on this very positive note, I will say paka paka. See you next week. Bye bye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. And joining me is my co-host, Bontus Buckman. See ya, Stop. No, because I called you Bontus Buckman. <laughs> okay, okay, do it again. I didn't even hear it. Oh my god. <laughs> On to the Denmark now. It's not the Denmark, sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> On to Denmark now. Well, why isn't it the? Bloody English language. Hmm?